0: Welcome back to the 77th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories pertaining to my favorite international subject, China. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight. A story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So, obviously, the U.S. has been dealing with a lot of different foreign adversaries, foreign conflicts, whether it be in Ukraine, whether it be rising tensions with China, or the falling apart of the Iran deal, or even Saudi Arabia being a little bit more controversial and adversarial than normal. But my question to you is, the daily debate is, which one of these, if any, poses the greatest threat? Maybe you're in the North Korea camp. Maybe you still think that Kim Jong-un serves the greatest threat to America nowadays. I'd love to hear your opinions down in the comments section. And, you know, if it starts a real debate, if people are really passionate about this one, maybe... I'll jump in, but I don't get many comments about this sort of thing, and I highly doubt anybody's going to be very, very passionate about their opinion because there are lots of different good ones out there and lots of justifications as to why any one of those nations could be a big threat to U.S. interests abroad. All right, let's jump to our first story. This one comes from Newsweek. China could push Russia... Ukraine conflict to true world war. Analyst warns. So, you know, with everything I just said at the beginning, how many enemies, how many adversaries on the world stage can the U.S. truly handle at one time? As the old saying goes, there are so many plates spinning right now. And people who looked at the American hegemony, looked at this last century, I take that back, this last decade and a half of American dominance on the world stage, some would even argue the last two and a half decades, ever since the fall of the Soviet Union, it really has been an American hegemonic world. We have led the way, but with the rise of China, the resurgence of Russia, and Not to say that Russia is the greatest geopolitical threat that we face currently. As a person who has been very dedicated to looking at China and the threat that it poses, and yes, I use the word threat, and I know that's probably a little strong for some people, but I truly believe that they are a geopolitical threat in the long term. But with Russia resurging and Vladimir Putin being very aggressive, some have turned to their old foreign policy. I mean, Obama did say to Mitt Romney back in the 2000, I believe it was 2012, the debates, oh, well, <laughs> the 1980s called and they want their foreign policy back. And he dropped the mic because Mitt Romney seemed to be obsessed with Russia. Yet, we have seen Russia come back onto the world stage as a key player And we've seen that the U.S. has really started to acknowledge, okay, we don't want Russia to get any closer with Germany. We don't want Russia to take away any of our allies because they are a huge producer of natural resources that a lot of these countries around the world, India, China, Germany, England, could use the natural resources there, natural gas and other such resources to kind of decouple from the American system. You've also seen Russia get involved with OPEC+, and build different allies' ships with Saudi Arabia, or Iran, or even Israel. Because right now, Israel is reliant on the presence of Russia in Syria in order to keep track of things going on in Lebanon. So Russia has its fingers in a lot of different pies. But then if we turn our heads towards the Pacific region, you look at the countries like the Philippines, maybe building a little bit more economic ties with China, or even with the African continent. China has their fingers in a lot of pies there, providing infrastructure deals also to... Pakistan, So you see all of our foreign adversaries reaching out, making sure that they have their fingers in many, many different pies in many, many different countries, ensuring that if something were to happen to them, if for some reason they're, they were sanctioned by one of the largest world forums such as NATO... Or if they were sanctioned by a large country that's one of their trading partners, the US, these other countries may become a little bit concerned and they would push back and they would say to the United States, maybe we don't actually like this policy that you're going to implement. So, what I'm trying to really get at here is the hegemony, the hegemonic period where America is on top is not necessarily crumbling but there are definitely cracks showing. And you can even see it in how Anthony Blinken, our current Secretary of State, is talking on Meet the Press. Quote, while speaking on Meet the Press on Sunday, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said he warned his Chinese counterpart of serious consequences for supporting Russia in its war against Ukraine. Let's pause. Serious consequences. That That literally means nothing. Xi Jinping's like, okay, yes, U.S., yes, Mr. Blinken. Serious consequences. Oh, we're going to get sanctioned again? They've already had to try to work their way around the Zwift system that was the international way of sending money or of banking because they're working with Russia, and Russia is no longer allowed on the Zwift system. So what, you're going to sanction them more? They'll just start trading in different currencies. I mean, at the end of the day, these serious consequences, they don't hold weight. And when you just say serious consequences and you don't back it up, or even if you allege something a little bit more drastic, they're still not going to believe you because at this point, they are still one of our largest trading partners. They know the reality is we still need them. And to some degree, they still need us. So just saying serious consequences and not even giving a list, not even saying what any of those consequences may be, they are definitely not taking it seriously at that point. But let's return to the quote. When asked what evidence the U.S. has to prove China is considering providing lethal aid to Russia, Blinken responded, quote, China is trying to have it both ways. Publicly, they present themselves as a country striving for peace in Ukraine. But privately, as I've said, we've seen already over the past months the provision of non-lethal assistance that does go directly to aiding and abetting Russia's war effort. So let's pause again. Okay, fine. They may be providing non-lethal aid now, and they may want to provide lethal aid in the future. But remember, China is Russia's ally, and in this case, we are Ukraine's ally. What did we just do? We escalated from providing non-lethal aid. And let's be clear, we were providing the arms in a roundabout way. But before, we were just saying, oh, no, 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 we're just providing money so that they can buy the arms that they need. Well, now we're supplying tanks. We're supplying more lethal aid. So if anything, China and Russia are just responding to what the U.S. has done. And I'm not saying that it's okay that China's doing this. I don't want them to escalate. But we already escalated. We put the foot forward first, and now we're getting angry when somebody else does it? It is a double standard that is not acceptable, especially when we can't even acknowledge that we did it or say, okay, yeah, we did this. We are providing lethal aid now. But this is why. And try to justify it and give a reason No, 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 we just get outraged and now China's doing it. And the reason I'm frustrated with this is because then the Chinese government can turn around and say, look what the U.S. is doing. They're providing lethal aid and now they're criticizing us for doing so. They can use it as a propaganda piece against the United States. And at the end of the day, they're going to run them anyway. But now they have a legitimate point rather than one that's completely manufactured like their propaganda before. And that's why I have a really big issue with it. And also the hypocrisy itself, of course. But at the end of the day, I try to, I've said in the past that I don't want the war in Ukraine to keep going on. I don't want the US overly involved in wars around the world. But then there's also this part of me that really sits back and says, well, I don't want the geopolitical paradigm to shift too much. I don't want China to come out on top and disrupt the the hegemony even more than they already have. And yes, I know, hegemony. But I don't want them to come out on top, and I don't want it to be a world where their political system of autocracy is promulgated, is spread to the rest of the world. Because I do believe that a democratic republic One where the people have a direct voice, but it is not just the voice of the majority, but the voice of the minority that has power. I think there's something beautiful about that. I think that instills certain freedoms, but I also don't think that we are overly righteous and that we know what is right for everybody. And that's where I really have an internal struggle, whereas asking myself whether we should be involved in these conflicts and whether we should be trying to protect democracy... Because at the end of the day, if you say, hey, we're going to go over to these countries. We're going to ensure that our system is promulgated there. It implies that you know your system, or at least if you were to do it righteously, your system is the best. That's the only justification that you can come up with morally that, yes, we know our system is the best. And we know that it will help this region implementing it and then you can morally justify it. But if there's even the slightest doubt, if for some reason your system may not work in a certain region of the world because of the culture, because of the way they approach things, maybe just because it hasn't worked in the past and it's not going to work this time when you do it again, then I don't think there's a moral justification for going in there and trying to implement our system over the one that they have there. And I think that it is overly righteous saying, yes, we know what is good for you. The whole point of democracy, the whole point of our democratic republic is that the people can choose what's right for them. It's not the lawmakers who know what's best for them. We choose who we put into office. And yes, we do put people that are wiser than us into office in order to make these crucial decisions. But at the end of the day, They are relying on the confidence of the people in order to govern, and those people have some idea of what they want and what will be good for them at the end of the day when they elect that person into office. So let me finish this quote. I know that was a pretty long rant. The Secretary of State concluded, and some further information that we are sharing today and that I think will be out there soon, that indicates there is strong they are strongly considering providing lethal assistance to Russia to the best of our knowledge. They haven't crossed that line yet. And end quote. And what I find here, is, it's fear mongering with just just a little pinch of downplaying. Is that what anybody else really feels? He's trying to say they haven't crossed that line yet. So he's not accusing them, but he's also saying, oh, they very well could. And we need to be vigilant. We need to be ever aware of what's going on with China. And if they do cross that line, we may have to step in. There's that line in the sand. And no, 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 China, don't cross it. If you do, there will be serious consequences. It's very interesting. And I think, honestly, this was a very calculated statement on the behalf of Blinken then again he's on meet the press and whenever they're in the media any official from the United States of course it's very well calculated but that seems like a very specific statement in my mind but you know maybe I'm reading too far into it maybe I'm just a little bit paranoid I think that Blinken is not actually saying anything of consequence here He's basically wagging his finger at China, saying, Don't don't you do it. There will be consequences. And we haven't backed it up before. So what makes them believe that we're going to back it up now? This article also has a few other quotes that I want to bring up. One of them is, quote, China is able to further expand their strategic reach in many areas beyond their border while continuing to address their own domestic challenges. He added... China continues to see their competitors, both the U.S. and Russia, distracted while they work towards accomplishing their national objectives. Similarly, retired Lieutenant General Ben Hodges and former U.S. Army Europe commander told Newsweek on Sunday, it's a growing increasingly clear that China is actively supporting Russia with aid. Though attempting to do so just below the threshold for sanctions. The Chinese are calculating their actions based on their read of our willingness to stick together and help Ukraine defeat Russia. If we can't or won't do that, then the CCP leadership is not going to be impressed with anything we say about Taiwan or the South China Sea. End quote. And remember what I said a minute ago about ensuring that at the end of the day, I do want democracy to be the leading force in the world. Well, Taiwan is one of the only free democracies in Asia. So China invading Taiwan could be very serious. And this is where I agree with this this general saying, if we don't back up... Ukraine in their freedom fight against Russia then how could China ever expect us to back up Taiwan if they wanted to try and invade so this once again comes down to the question of should we be intervening and I don't have the answers and I already explained my inner turmoil so don't expect me to answer it very quickly but the question becomes, have our efforts to bolster Taiwan been enough? Have they been enough to dissuade China from trying to invade Taiwan? We have spent years giving them military aid. We have created strategic partnerships with their big company, TSMC, to build factories here in the United States. We have limited the trade of sensitive chip technology to China in order to make sure that they do not build a market that is just as robust and manufacturing plants that are just as elite and as powerful and as crucial as Taiwan's are. And I know people are probably saying, well, no, no, that Chips Act, that was actually to make sure that the American chip industry is robust. But I think... For those of you who are clever enough, you can actually see that it's a way to ensure that Taiwan stays relevant. China is trying to build up their chip's infrastructure. They're trying to build up the fabs that they have on Taiwan, or at least similar ones. So by ensuring that China is one step behind on these leading, bleeding-edge chips, then they make sure that Taiwan is politically relevant, and strategically key to many nations that may not want to back them up if China was to try and invade. But like I said, is it enough? When you look at the Ukraine situation, China's observing it just as tightly as we are, and they're saying, okay, if the Americans back down here, if they don't follow through and support Ukraine, then we can expect them to... Put up a good fight at the beginning, and then withdraw when things get rough if we were to invade Taiwan. And that's the really scary thing, in my opinion, because there are two good reasons for Ukraine. Three. One, defend the Ukrainian people, make sure that they can be free. Two, limit Russia geopolitically, ensure that they don't have easy access to their port in Crimea. And three, set an example. And I'm not saying all of those reasons are great reasons. I mean, why should we decide what the geopolitical system of the world is when it comes to allowing Russia to have easy access to their port in Crimea? But it does speak to the fact that at the end of the day, if you want to look at this as a rational actor, there are those other two reasons that may not seem as nice oh, we're, the first one, we're defending the Ukrainian people. We're making sure they have the right to be free. That sounds great for PR campaigns. But if you're to really step back and be realistic about it, the next two are very important. And at the end of the day, are we going to set the example that we'll pull out from Taiwan that will allow our adversaries to become more influential on the global scale? No. No. We shouldn't set that example if you're a realist who's looking at the slow cracking of American power and concerned about it. So China's watching it just as tightly as we are. So Hodges, the general, ends this article with a good quote that I really wanted to talk about, or at least bring up. Quote, The war in Ukraine is not separate from China's threat in the Indo-Pacific region. The defense of our freedom... From autocracy, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and the defense of international rules-based order, UN Charter, Sovereignty, Freedom of Navigation, Respect for Human Rights, runs through Ukraine. And to be clear, this is a really, it it actually is the military-industrial complex coming out and being very forward while trying to be sneaky. They're trying to say that this Ukraine is a symbol of freedom. We cannot let autocracy win. We cannot let the international rules be violated that we help create and establish and enforce as the world leader after the Cold War. And as the opposite of autocracy, a democracy, we can't let autocracy win. This is them coming out in a very subtle way saying we need to make sure democracy flourishes. We need to make sure that the rule system that benefits us stays in place. And this is how they always justify the forever wars. And I know I caught myself doing it earlier. And I know that I talked about my internal battle about it. But I want you to look at yourselves and understand that, yes, we have a problem with the forever war in this country. And it's because of language like this. They appeal to the fact that we want other people to have the same freedoms as us. We don't want the international rules to be violated because they benefit us. Or just because you believe that they're good. But that's how we justify the forever wars. So you just have to catch yourself doing it. And also make sure that you call it out when you see it in these kind of articles. Or at least make a mental note to yourself. All right. That's enough about this one. I know I spent a long time ranting. We're going to do the last two articles very quickly. The first one is from the South China Morning Post. And this one really highlights the fact that China has become aware, or they were already aware, but they're actively trying to take steps to limit the institutional corruption and the money problems that they are having so if you don't remember before covid they were having a bit of a housing crisis they were building way too many houses or apartments and they were having speculating booms where people were just buying the properties and taking out loans because they thought that these properties were going to be valuable and then these large companies that were building all these buildings. They were saying, oh, we have all these units rented out and that will pay for the next building. And eventually they started taking out loans on the fact that they're going to have people rent the buildings just like they had in the past. So they started speculating and basically guessing as to how much money they would make on the building before they even started and taking out loans before they even started building the next one to pay off the last one with the money from the new one. I, I know, right? It sounds really confusing. Basically, they were speculating on their own building and the success of their buildings, even though they hadn't fully built them yet. And this caused a lot of concern. And during COVID, there was a supply shock at the end of the day, People weren't able to get the houses that they had paid for in advance from these companies because these companies didn't have the funds to keep building them. So this caused a bit of a crisis, and the Chinese government had to step in and make sure that things didn't fall flat on their face so that all the stocks in China went downhill. So this is causing a a re-examination of the banking system in China. Quote, China's banking regulator plans to introduce differentiated risk weights to better reflect assets banks' risk exposure to prevent risks in the nation's financial system. By setting risk weights, banks' capital adequacy ratios can be more accurately reflective of their overall risk levels and capacity, for continuing sustainable operations. The China Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission said in a statement late on Saturday, the revamping aims to, quote, further enhance commercial banking regulations, raise banks' risk management levels, and upgrade their performance, end quote. So this is really Chinese government stepping in and saying, no, no, You can't keep making these really risky loans. You can't keep going to these companies and giving them money before they have even built these buildings or even before this company has actually sold this new product. This is a way of ensuring that the banks are not overly speculative in the loaning of money. And also, it gives the Chinese government a tool to say, oh, this bank is being really risky with their funds. Maybe we should put some restrictions on them of some kind. And with this new system comes three different, how would you say it, different labels, basically. You have the first one, which is the International Regulations Group which have to file a 70-page assessment form in order to evaluate their risk. Then you have one that is probably like the mid-tier, which is a more local or regional bank that only has to fill out an 8-page form, or a citywide bank that only has to fill out a 2-page form. So, they're trying to make it easy for small businesses, smaller banks to loan out money and look at the risk that they're taking on, and trying to make it a little bit harder for the international banks so that they don't get as much scrutiny on the international stage. So, China looks like a responsible actor. That's what I took away from this article. And it's just something that you should keep in mind if you're investing in stocks because a lot of the stock market, a lot of the big management funds are tied up in China. So, you know, though I don't necessarily think that we should be tied up in China, the reality is we are. And you need to make sure at the end of the day that you're at least keeping up with news like this, because it's important, especially as a international citizen, considering the way that we are nowadays, you know, it can never really hurt to know what's going on around the world. And our Last article is a very, very quick one. This one comes from Seeking Alpha. Lithium stocks plunge as China's CATL offers EV battery discounts in China. So CATL is one of the largest lithium producers, or I guess technically, refiners in China. And they're actually offering their batteries at a very, very cheap rate to a lot of their Chinese companies. And it actually caused the lithium stocks all across the market to fall sharply on Friday. So we had Sigma Lithium down 2.8, Levent down 9.9, NASDAQ PLL, which is a fund is was down 12.2 lithium Americas was down 6.7 so it's one of those things that it's kind of scary because why are they constantly or why one are they giving a discount to the companies in China using their batteries or is this an anti-free trade measure are they just doing it for companies in China Or is it because there's so much, there's an influx of lithium coming from these South American countries or different areas in Africa that are mining it, that it may actually end up tanking the price of lithium around the world? And I mean, considering how much we actually use lithium nowadays for our lithium ion batteries, it doesn't sound like a bad thing in the first place, or sorry, it doesn't sound like a bad thing on the surface. But when you take a deeper look, a lot of different economies are built on this. If you look at Chile and a few other South American countries, they are like Argentina, they rely heavily on the exporting of refi- minerals that can be refined like this in China or Australia, for instance. So a plunge in the lithium price, whether that is caused intentionally by China or just as a factor or just as the effect of an influx of lithium coming into the market that can end up hurting big economies that not only are we dependent on here in America because they also supply other important minerals that we refine here and also that China relies on because they are also one of the world's largest refiners for cobalt, nickel, so on and so forth. So it's one thing to keep your eye on. If it's just an anti-trade practice, then China, come on, that's not cool. Why are you just giving the discount to your Chinese uh, companies when it comes to these lithium battery prices? And, you know, at the end of the day, stop that. It's against international, I was going to say international law, but more like international edicts, because at the end of the day, who's really going to enforce it? So, if that's the case, screw you, China. And if it's a, because there's an influx of lithium coming onto the market, then we need to address why. And maybe we have to cut down production just like OPEC did when it comes, came to oil in order to make sure the price goes back up and stabilizes a little bit. All right. That was that last one. Like I told you, really quick one. Now, we're going to jump to our Daily Delight this story is coming from the laughing squid. Sleepy anteater sticks out a long tongue when awoken. So, yes, I, I know you're probably thinking, what? Why, why are we talking about this? It is one of the cutest videos I've seen in a while. He's wagging his tongue around trying to look for ants in midair. It, that's what it looks like, at least. And, you know, actually, I'll just read you the quote here. An adorable yet sleepy northern Tamandu, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Mr. Anteater, lesser Anteater, named Otis, appeared to let his handlers know that he was not quite ready to wake up by sticking out his long tongue at them. In reality, Otis was checking the air to see if he wanted to go outside. It turns out he didn't. Yeah, he turned right back around. He's like, nope, I am going back to sleep. Don't, Don't wake me up, please. And Otis, he's a a really cute guy. So if you want to check out uh, any of these cute videos of Otis, or if you want to read any of the articles from today's podcast, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip, or find the podcast on any of the other places. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Podvine. And you can download them there for long car drives with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.